Well, we're continuing our journey through Romans, which I, I tell you, it's a life-changing book. I love it. And tonight we're going to look at uh, one of our favorite passages, that is one we quote all the time, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you might be saved. Is that what it says? You what? Will be saved. So tonight we're looking at chapter 10, and the word of faith brings salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight for the word of God. It is the way our faith is built. It is the way our wisdom is enhanced. It is the way we grow spiritually. Tonight, Lord, we are fertile ground, and the Word of God is going on that ground, being watered on that ground. We're receiving the water of your Word to water the seed. And now, Lord, cause us to grow tonight in Jesus' name. Grow in wisdom. Grow in stature. Grow in might in our spirit man. Lord, give us discernment. Illuminate our eyes. Lord, thank you for planting your word in our heart. Can you breathe a prayer and just say, Lord, speak to me tonight. Say, I receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Let's, let's go through Romans. And we are on chapter 10 tonight. Moving right along. As a matter of fact, there's 16 chapters in Romans so we're moving along quickly, doing a chapter a week. And uh, how many of you have enjoyed this series? Hasn't it been good? Good stuff. A couple of those, like last week, that was uh, some deep stuff. That's deep. But you know what? So is tonight. Let's look at it. Last time in chapter 9, we saw that the Jews could not establish a legitimate claim on God's favor based on their national heritage, or just based on being born Jewish. They could not say... Well, I've got favor with God just because I'm Jewish. Can't do it. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are all about the Jewish people because Paul was Jewish. And as we've seen, he had a burden so bad for the Jewish people that he said in the presence of Jesus, if I could, I would go to hell in their place. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, that's a burden. I can't, I wish that I could feel spiritual enough to say that. I don't. Now, maybe, maybe with one of my children, but I'd have to really pray about that. <laughs> Hell is a hot place and it lasts a long time. But Paul said, if I could, in the presence of Christ, I would. I would go to hell for my brethren, the Jew." Now, that's a burden for souls. And I said last week, if we could have a 20th of that burden for souls, we'd turn this city upside down. We'd be witnessing all the time. What a burden for souls. But he was telling the truth, and the Lord, he said, the Holy Spirit testifies to my conscience that I'm telling you the truth. That's powerful. Now, though they were natural descendants of Abraham, they were not spiritual descendants based on having placed faith in Messiah Jesus. So the Jews were natural descendants, but they were not spiritual descendants. They had not been born again. Now their history demonstrated that God carries out His purposes sovereignly, with a freedom not limited by human notions of fairness or what man thinks ought to be. 
A lot of times what God does, man in his natural state will look at it and say, that's not fair. You know what God thinks about that? He doesn't care what you think. You know why? Because he's God. And that's just really the fact. That's what it is. That's what Romans 9 showed us. He really, he's God. The, the pot can't say to the potter, why are you making me this way? We can't look at him and say, why'd you make me this way? We can't, listen, he's sovereign or he's not God. So a lot of times what he does uh, doesn't seem fair to us or what we think he should have done. Now I've learned that as time passes, more times than not, you will see that what God did was right and good and you will end up, even though you might have reacted wrongly at first, you will end up looking up and saying, you did right. Your judgment was right. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The answer is he always does right. He cannot do wrong. God is love. He cannot do wrong. Now, Paul showed that the Jews were responsible for their own rejection. They were responsible for God rejecting them. They brought it on themselves. We also saw another apparent unfairness regarding Israel and then offered an explanation. Here it is, the Gentiles who had not even pursued righteousness by, by obeying the law, as had the Jews, because the Jews are the ones who received the law. So here's the Gentiles out there going to hell in a handcart, and what does it say? They attained, they, they ended up attaining to righteousness by faith. They ended up coming into what God had intended the Jews to come into. They ended up receiving the salvation that God had intended for the Jews. And so there's a real ironic turn of events. Israel did not understand that God makes people right with him through faith, not works. They were all hung up in works, the Jewish people. In Romans 10, we're going to see now that if a Jew today wants to come into God's favor, he's going to have to come the same way we did. Same exact way. He's going to have to come to Calvary as a lost sinner, and accept his Messiah as Savior and Lord. He's never, ever, ever going to come into God's favor any other way. It's not going to happen. This is the theme of Romans 10. Now, Paul begins chapter 10 with the same burden found at the beginning of chapter 9. Look what he says in verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Saved. Don't tell me everybody's saved. These people, these universalists who are going around now saying that because Jesus died on the cross, the whole world is saved. That's a heresy. Because you're not saved unless you go the way of the cross. He said, I'm pray if everybody's saved, why was he praying they be saved? You've got to go by way of the cross. You may not like it. It may not be up to your style. You may wish there were another way. But you're never going to be saved unless you go by way of the cross. And he's saying, I'm praying for my Jewish brethren. God gave them the word. He gave them the commandments. He gave them the promises. They are Abraham's natural descendants, but they're lost. Unless they come by way of the cross. The use of the term brothers in that verse softens what's already been said and what is about to follow. Yet Paul does not water down the truth one iota, neither should we. 
He says, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. Now catch this. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. They've got zeal, but it's not knowledgeable zeal. They've got zeal, but it's misplaced zeal. Boy, have I seen that a lot of times in my life. It's good to be zealous as long as it's the right thing to be zealous about. Verse 3, he says, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now think with me a minute, church. This is as old as the Bible, what they did. Because you remember Cain and Abel? You remember Cain. What was his problem? He was a farmer. He offered to God vegetables. God did not receive his offering. Abel brought to him a blood sacrifice. And God received Abel's offering. Cain got very mad at God. And God said to Cain, Will I not receive you if you do what is right? In other words, Cain, there's only one way to get right with me. And that's my way. And the age-old temptation with man in all of his pride and all of his arrogance is to say, well, you know what? I want to get to God, but I'm not going to go his way. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to be Frank Sinatra in my salvation. I did it my way. The bottom line is the Jews said, we don't want that Messiah. We don't want that Jesus. We're going to keep on sacrificing in the temple. We're going to keep on doing it the Old Testament way. And we believe that we're going to, and living by the word and trying to obey all of the word, we believe we're going to get God's favor that way. But in thinking that way, they were rejected by God like Cain was rejected because they weren't going God's way. Look what he says. He says to the Jew, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everybody who does what? Everybody who believes. There is not righteousness for anybody who tries to work their way into righteousness. There is only righteousness, God's way, which is to put faith in the blood that's it faith in the blood Abel put faith in the blood sacrifice he was received Cain rejected the blood sacrifice he was rejected the only way to come to him now in the New Testament is to come by way of the blood now he gives two basic reasons why the Jew is lost reasons which also apply to Gentiles so this is good for everybody first the Jew is lost because of misguided religious exercise. He's lost. Remember, he said, you've got a zeal, but it's misplaced. You've got a zeal, but your zeal is not salted and peppered with wisdom. You've got zeal, but you're not going about it right. The Jew was lost because of religious exercise, misguided. He says, quote, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. A zeal for God is great as long as it's rightly directed, but it's a tragic thing if it takes the person down the wrong road. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to slip into eternity without Christ because they said, oh, I've got a zeal. I'm going to get right with God. How are you going to do it? I'm going to hug a tree. Or I'm going to be a good Buddhist. Or I'm going to be a good Hindu. So, Pastor Jeff, you shouldn't say that. Those people mean well. They do mean well. They have zeal. But it's misplaced. It's misplaced. See, we're living in a world full of people 
who have a zeal to want to tap into something spiritual for their life. It's, it's real. Their zeal is real, but it's misplaced. It's misguided. And it's not going to save them. There's only one thing that will save you, and that you've got to go to that rugged, old, bloody cross. That's it. The blood that ran down that tree is the only remedy for your problem and mine, and that is the sin problem. Buddha doesn't wash away sin. Amen? Buddha doesn't wash away. He never said that he did, if he ever really existed. Buddha did not ever say he washed away sin. Confucius doesn't take care of your sin problem. Did you know that Muhammad never said he did either? There's only one who stood in history and said, I'm the sin sacrifice, and I'm the only one that take care of your sin. And I'm going to die for you, die in your stead. I'm going to rise from the dead, and my pure blood is going to wash away your sin if you put faith, if you turn your zeal towards me. Then your zeal will be rightly placed because it will lead to your salvation. Boy, is it tragic to be zealous all your life long, sitting in a lotus position, saying, oh, all day long, <laughs> trying to become one with the universe, thinking that it's making you right with God, and then you die, and you find out it was misplaced. Misplaced. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote something. I love this. He said, if you board the wrong train, it is no use running along the corridor in the opposite direction. Isn't that good? Because if you're on the wrong train, you can be running backwards towards where you got on, but it's still taking you in the wrong direction. So the idea is this. If you board the train of good works, no matter what you do within that train, you're still going the wrong way. The only way to get on the right track is to disembark and board the train of grace. All right? Good stuff. <clears throat> now, Paul finally reached the day when he realized that all of his supposed religious assets, and he had many, many, many accomplishments, were actually liabilities, so much so that he called them cow manure, dung. That's in the Bible, it's in your Bible. He said, everything that I achieved, it's dung. It did nothing to get me to God. It didn't do anything to make me right. All my good works were equivalent to cow manure. He disembarked the train of good works and he boarded the train of grace. And that's when Saul became Paul. Amen? Now the Jew was lost. And is lost today primarily, overwhelmingly, most of them. Not only because of his misguided religious exercise, but also because of his misguided religious enterprise. What was his enterprise? Here it is. He says, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God. What was the righteousness that came from God, y'all? Somebody tell me. What was the righteousness? It is this. When you put your faith in Christ, God declares you righteous. He made him to be, who, to be sin, who was, who had never sinned, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. He looked down, down at Jesus hanging on the cross and he said, I impute to you all of their sin. And he took it. 
And that's when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And what was he saying for the first time in all of eternity past and eternity future? God the Son, for a moment of time, was separated from God the Father as he took our sin. And what did God do? He took his perfect life and imputed it to you. Now the whole message of Paul is, he's saying, there is no righteousness apart from faith in the blood. And when you put your faith in the blood, the moment you say, I believe, we're going to get to that verse in just a moment. I confess in my mouth, he is Lord, I believe in my heart, God raised him from the dead. He says, righteous. righteous so you are dressed in the righteousness of Christ okay so they did not know this they did not know that kind of right the Jews could not get their arms around this so they didn't submit to God's righteousness the great enterprise of the Jew was to build for himself an edifice of righteousness in his own strength based on the edicts the Ten Commandments of Mount Sinai which was an utterly impossible task. Listen carefully. Righteousness is not to be found at Mount Sinai, but at Calvary. It lies not in the acceptance of a precept, but of a person. Not by serving commandments, but by serving Christ. That's the only way man, you and I, will ever, ever experience the righteousness of God. But once we do, we're in. We're in based on what he did, not what we have done. We're, based on, we're in based on his finished work, not our ongoing works. We were saved not by works, but for works. Nothing we ever did could save us. If we lived to be a million, we couldn't save ourselves, but he did. Here's the deal. Picture a big barbell here. And there's five weights on each side. They're 100 pounds apiece. And there you have 10 weights on this barbell. You go down and you try to pick that thing up. No way. And your coach is right here saying, if you can't pick it up, you're going to hell. Boy, you try to pick that thing up. But you can't. You might get it up here. You might even get it right here. But you cannot. It won't. You can't. And you start going, I'm undone. God says, put it down. Put it down. We say, what am I going to do? Right then, he calls someone else. Out comes a man. He looks at it. He bows down. Effortlessly right here. Then whoosh, right here. And then right here. And then God says, that's my boy. And since he picked it up, I'm going to impute the fact that he picked it up onto you. So what you could not do because you were weak in your flesh, he did not being weak in his flesh. He picked it up. So we are saved because Jesus hoisted it in the air, not you. All right? 
Now, Christ is the end of the law, so there may be righteousness for everybody who believes. Now, next Paul says, Paul lays out for the Jew and for all people everywhere how Christ is accepted and true salvation attained. How do I get myself to the place where God says, as far as I'm concerned, you picked it up. I'm going to attribute that to you. How do I get to that place? There's something that precedes an acceptance of Christ, and there's something that follows an acceptance of Christ. An acceptance of Christ is preceded by a fair consideration of Him. And it's followed by a frank confession of Him. Before doing so, Paul's going to take one last look at Sinai and, and consider uh, the problem inherent in seeking righteousness by the law. Because you're not ever going to do it. You're never going to pick that barbell up. It's not going to happen. You might be able to pull it off if you took all the weights off but two. Maybe then... But you would eventually drop one of those also. Now watch. He says, quote, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. Well, what's he saying? If you pick it up, you will live. If you pick it up, come on, dude, pick it up. If you pick it up, you'll live and you'll be right with God. Well, that quotation is from Leviticus 18.5. And points out that in order to be saved by the law, a person has to live according to all the precepts of the law without violating even one of them. James told us, if you break one, you've broken all of them. If you break one law, you've broken all of them. Anybody here ever lied? Stolen? Said a cuss word? Oh, watch out now. I don't want to find out how bad you've been. <laughs> Anybody ever taken God's name in vain? I mean, we know we've broken the law. He says, he says, unless you can obey and have obeyed all of them, you can't be righteous. If a person would be able to do this, he would have earned his title to heaven. Okay? But the big pink elephant in the room for the Jew was nobody could live such a life. Nobody could do it. Do this and you shall live is cold comfort for the person who realizes his inability to live according to the divine decree. Cold comfort. Sure, pick it up. You won't pick it up if you live to be a million. So that's not a comfort to me. Now Paul's message is that it is not the law one must appeal to for righteousness. It is the Lord. It's not Moses. It is Christ. The very one they had rejected. Now, Paul then tells us how to do all of this, how to get saved. Now, remember, he's talking to the Jew now. He's saying, if you want to get righteous, here's how you do it. The righteousness that is by faith, he says, quote, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down, verse 7. Or verse 8, or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, let me explain that passage. That's out of Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 and 14. Though the passages seem difficult, here's what they're basically saying. Very simple. Just as Moses had said that there was no need for anybody to go up to heaven to bring down the law, because they had the law, so it is true that no one needs to go up to heaven to bring the Messiah down, because he's already come. Okay? And just as Moses had said that there was no need for anybody to go all the way across the sea to find the law, because it was already there, 
So no one needs search the depths to find the Messiah. He was right in front of them. In fact, finding the Messiah is much less complicated than all of that. What does it say, Paul goes on to write? The Word is near you. Your salvation is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. Now here he goes. He's moving, he is showing them the utter futility of trying to get there by picking up that barbell. He's saying, how do you get there? It's by faith. How do you exercise that faith? Here it is. Just as in Moses' day, the word of God was very accessible, so now the Lord himself is very accessible. The word of faith includes the whole message of the gospel with its glorious tidings that Christ has come down from heaven and the resurrection which tells us he has come up from the grave. He came down from heaven, he has come up from the grave. They only have to believe in their heart. Here it is, that if you confess with your mouth, now what is this? This is the way faith operates. If you've got the faith in you, it's coming out of your mouth. I'm going to say that again. If you've got the faith in you, it's coming out of your mouth. Because what? What did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you start experiencing faith toward God through Jesus Christ, it's coming out of your mouth. And how's it going to come out? I confess that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, what everybody? You will what? Be saved. Wow, he said, forget the barbell, forget trying to live perfectly. Here's the way you get righteous. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And once saved, you are declared righteous. Now this very famous passage focuses on the deity of Jesus Christ. He's deity. Do you all know that? I hope you know that. He wasn't a first century hippie walking around with a ponytail and sandals saying neat things. He was not a VIP. He was not just one of many great philosophers. He wasn't one of many world religious leaders. There's nobody on his level. There's nobody like him. Not even close. Not even as close as from here to Pluto. He is uniquely divine. He was God wrapped in skin. He was born of a virgin, supernaturally conceived. He did not have Adam's nature in him. His nature was divine. Yet he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. He stands light years beyond Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, or anyone else. Do you understand? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, Messiah, was, was God. Not almost under him, not a little bit like God, not second to God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Pastor, how can that be? It be because the Bible says it be. 
period. But it's extremely supportable. It's very supportable. It's supportable intellectually. It's supportable reasonably. It's supportable commonsensically. It's supportable theologically. He was God. Do you understand that when we worship Jesus, you're worshiping God the Son? But Pastor Jeff, there are three different people. How can three be one? Well, I have here water. That water can become steam. That water can become ice. I can have ice, water, steam. Three manifestations and three different manifestations of the same thing. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, but they were God and our God. Three in one. He was and is Lord, and He was indisputably raised from the dead. I mean, let's get our Christology right here, everybody. And all of you listening by radio, don't listen to anybody, anybody ever. Don't sit under them if they tell you anything else about Jesus. He was seen. He is risen. Was the confession of the early Christian. And everybody knew that it was so. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, says Paul. The gospel appeal is primarily to the heart rather than to the head. Holy Spirit will deal with your heart. God does not look for primarily intellectual assent to dogma, but for personal committal to Jesus as Lord. It was when I looked up in the juvenile home when I was 16 years old and said, okay, I believe what I just heard, that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world and, and rose from the dead. I believe that. And something happened to Jeff Wickwire in jail as a 16-year-old that night that was irrevocable, irrefutable, undeniable, that changed me forever. He came into my heart. I responded with my heart. I believe with my heart, and I confess with my mouth. In Hebrew thought, the heart comprised the whole man. The Savior, says Paul, is very accessible. He must be believed on in the heart and confessed with the mouth. So you get around some people, oh, I believe Jesus was a good man. Well, do you believe he was Lord? Well, I don't know about Lord. See, this is what the Jew can't do, won't do. Now, this was the very thing the Jews refused to do and refused to do this to this day. And I love the Jewish people. And their day is coming when God's going to save that nation from total destruction. And they're going to look up and they're going to look on him whom they have pierced. And every eye is going to see him. And they're going to wail for him. And they're going to weep for him. And they're going to realize the Messiah they've rejected all these centuries was indeed the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Given for them, died for them, and rose from the dead. They will not, though, now confess the deity of Jesus, not the majority of them. Now, why is this important? Paul continues, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Notice in verse 9, he switched the order. He put, he put, uh, for, he said, right here he says, with your heart you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you confess. But in verse 9, he said, confess and then believe in your heart. Here he's putting it in the order in which it actually happens. It happens, you believe and then you confess. You believe in your heart, then you confess. 
and you're declared righteous and you are saved. And it's that simple. It is not a complex philosophical treatise. It is that simple. There is a change in the order of heart and mouth here because in verse 9, Paul's following Moses' order. And in verse 10, the order of experience. Believing comes before confessing. Now the confessing here is not a legalistic requirement. It's a natural consequence of true faith. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth is going to speak. I love what W.E. Vine, the great commentator, said, quote, The actual order is now given. Faith first, then confession. Absence of confession betrays lack of faith. If you can't confess it and mean it, you don't have the faith in your heart. Another commentator says, quote, The beginning of the Christian life has two sides to it. Internally, it is the change of heart which faith implies. This leads to righteousness, the position of acceptance before God. Externally, it implies confession of Christ crucified. Believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, you cross from death to life, lost to found, hell-bound to heaven-bound, rejected to accepted, under wrath to under grace. Believing in your heart, confessing it with your mouth. That's how you come to righteousness. Now next comes great news. Everybody say anybody or anyone. Anyone. Anyone and everyone can be saved. As the scripture says, anyone, anyone, anyone. Are you an anyone? Listening by radio, are you an anyone? You're in rush hour traffic. Has it occurred to you that you're an anyone? Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. So if you're in anyone or you're in everyone, you can be saved. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. And you'll cross over from death to life. Glory to God. I love this. Anybody can call out. Jew or Gentile, young or old, bond or free, rich or poor, cultured and crude, the down and outer or the up and outer, anybody can this moment call on the name of the Lord and will be instantly saved. Confessing the name, confessing Jesus as Lord gives personal expression and public exposure to the fact that Jesus saves. Now we're moving towards the close of chapter 10. Are you all being blessed? It's good stuff. Now... Next follows a strong call to evangelistic work. Here it comes. All right, well, if it's true that if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, I'll be saved. Then he says, but wait, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in anything if they've not heard about it? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? Now, here's where it comes to you and to me. All right? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Your feet may not be pretty in the natural, but if you bring the gospel to somebody, they're going to think your feet are pretty. If you bring the gospel to them. Simply put, to be saved, 
Somebody's got to hear it. Information brings inspiration. For that to happen, there's got to be a witness. And the word for preacher here is herald or proclaimer. How will they believe if they don't hear the gospel from a witness? And how will there be a witness unless one is sent? Now, I want you to do something tonight. Look at your neighbor and say, you're sent. Tell them, you're sent. Now, about half of you said it to me. I didn't say look at me and say it. I want you to look at the person on either side of you and say, hey, you're sent. Because, see, see, you know somebody I don't know. And they're never going to be able to believe in something they've not heard about. And they're never going to be able to hear about it if you don't open up your mouth. Well, I'm a silent witness. I've never understood that phrase. It is a contradiction in terms. How can you be a witness and be silent? Well, the Holy Ghost is just on me, Pastor Jeff. Hey, they may just think you're crazy until you tell them why. Tell them why you don't go out to the bar with them after work. Tell them why you're a little bit different. Don't leave them to wonder. Tell them somebody has changed your life. How are they going to hear without a preacher? About to have a Holy Ghost fit up here. I'm telling you, I just moved on me. This is why Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Now next, Paul returns to the sad fact. And here's how he closes out the chapter. He returns to the sad fact that occupies his mind all through 9, 10, and 11. The Jew has rejected Christ as Savior. He now shows how unrelenting Jewish disbelief in the Lord Jesus really is. Look what he said in verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Then verse 18, but I ask, did they not hear? He's talking about the Jew. Did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Paul maintains that the Jewish unbelief in Christ is unreasonable. On two counts. First, they could believe. It's not that they can't, it's that they won't. They could believe. He says, but they have not obeyed the gospel. Well, they could obey the gospel. Paul mourns with Isaiah over the unreasonable unbelief of his people. For the gospel is not a new thing. It's rooted and grounded firmly in the Old Testament that the Jews knew from cover to cover. The supreme tragedy is that the people refused to hear. Jesus said again and again, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. He wasn't talking about listening. He was talking about hearing. Yet even though some may consent to listen, they yet fail to hear. You can listen and not hear. And if you that have children in here know that dynamic. He said, you hear what I said? I heard you. I heard, yeah, my, my ears heard the sound. I did listen. I couldn't help it, but I didn't take it to heart. Second, they should believe. Not only could they, but they should. The Gentiles had accepted the gospel. 
Paul argues, and this fact alone should arouse the Jewish conscience. Paul next cites Moses and Isaiah as witnesses that the Hebrew Scriptures themselves foretold the conversion of the Gentiles, you, everybody in this room. The Scriptures foretold your conversion. First, Moses said, again I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. That's you. You were not the Jewish nation. You were out there. You were the pagans. He said, God says, I tried to make you envious through the Gentiles. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. They're going to get come into my righteousness by faith while you refuse to come by faith and continue in your works. The Jews should believe, if for no other reason, out of sheer jealousy of the fact that the Gentiles have stolen, as it were, their blessing. Do <laughs> you know that God will use jealousy to get you right? I, hey, it happened to me. I walked into a Bible study where there were a bunch of long-haired, ponytail, hippie types like Jason, Pastor Jason. <laughs> and, and I was that way. I walked in there, bell-bottom, blue jeans, you know, t-shirt and, and wire rim glasses and walked in there out of hippie world and, and walked in and I saw all these former hippies with their hands lifted up, weeping in the presence of God, worshiping Him. And you know what happened to me? I got jealous. I said, Lord, I'll do anything if I can have that. He said, say that one more time. I said, I said, I'll give up anything for that. And it hit me. You know what did it? I got jealous. I said, man, they've got something I want. You ought to have such a walk with God, it provokes people to jealousy. God will use the jealousy to bring them in. Well, I'm not going to let them be the only one blessed around here. I'm going to get blessed too. Next, he quotes Isaiah. Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. That's you. Gentiles, pagans, former pagans of America. I revealed myself to those who didn't ask for me. That's the Gentiles. That's you. Again, here we have the sovereignty of God at work. The rejection of Jesus by the Jewish people caused God to turn to you and me, the Gentiles. And the Jews to this day continue in their disobedience. So God says, all right, you won't take my Messiah, my Jesus, my son. I'll take him to the Gentiles. And what did God say to Paul? I've called you to preach to the Gentiles. <laughs> Paul said, you got to be kidding me. It's the Jewish people that have, have received the promises. God said, they're not taking it. So you're going to the Gentiles, and they're going to be grafted in. That's next week, and it's powerful stuff. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient, obstinate people. The word disobedient means to refuse to be persuaded. So far then, as God's present dealings with Israel are concerned, he's speaking to the individual Jew. He's offering him salvation of the same basis, on the same basis as the Gentile. Gentiles are pressing into the kingdom while relatively few Jews pay any heed to the gospel call. And I'm going to tell you, Gentiles, press in now. Press in now. Because the times of the Gentiles are coming to a close. Next time, God has not rejected the Jew. Let's stand together, can we? <clears throat>
Aren't you glad that when God saw the Jews weren't accepting Messiah, he came to us? Are you glad he knocked on the door of your heart? Give him praise tonight. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we stand amazed indeed at the workings of the sovereign hand of God. How high are your ways, Lord? We can't conceive of them. Higher than our thoughts. Deeper than our ponderings. We can't fully grasp it. Yet, Lord, we thank you for what the Bible tells us about how you have worked in the earth. Now, Lord, thank you for salvation, not by works, but by grace through faith. And that when we looked in faith, we were declared righteous. Let's lift our hands and just sing a stanza to him. Go ahead, Joe. God is so good. Oh, God is so good. God is so good. Yes, my God is good. 